0: Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app resources including our sunday messages information about upcoming events and other ways to connect you can download our app on the apple or android app stores with all that said we hope you enjoyed the message i love you guys he is risen okay so uh if you don't know what's happening when i say that it's just tradition Um, the church for a long time, has had this kind of beautiful call and response on Easter Sunday, that is, He is risen, and you respond with, He is risen indeed. And it, you can kind of just, oh cool, go through the motions, but there's something powerful in tradition, I think. Um, there's something powerful about uh, the call and response, even, of like acknowledging the reality that God of the flesh, Jesus Christ, literally was raised to life after He was crucified. And so let's just do this one more time together. He is risen. You guys are great. You guys are great. I love it. All right, I'm going to start my timer. If not, I'll be here all day. Okay, so you guys know this. Easter is the greatest day in the history of the world, right? Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, conquering sin and death, demonstrating his power and his authority over sin, Satan, and death. And that for ever since then, the church, has, the people of God, the, the family of God have been celebrating one Sunday a year, this special consecrated time, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And that's not to say we don't celebrate the resurrection every moment of our lives, but there's something really, really profound about set aside, setting aside specific time to go like, man, the love of God on display through the resurrection of Jesus there's something really beautiful and profound about it. So, for the sake of time, I'm gonna jump right in this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab your Bible. We're gonna be in John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, the uh, crew is gonna put the words on the screen. Look, they're already on it. Bravo, guys, thank you. I'll be in the CSB translation, that's the Christian Standard Bible. I typically preach out of that, so if you don't have that translation, it might be helpful for you to see it on the screen. So what I wanna do this morning, is really just kinda simple. Uh, I want to go through the gospel of John. This is arguably Jesus' closest friend on the earth, one of his original 12 disciples. Um, This is John's resurrection narrative. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this together. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. The reason why I feel compelled to go through John's resurrection narrative this morning is because I think that there are loads of hope and encouragement found here. Hope and encouragement. Um, If you spend any time reading other sources of information, like say the news, (laughs) uh, or I think there's a whole lot of, um, a a lack of hope. Uh, Maybe the opposite of encouragement, maybe discouragement. So there's a whole lot of things that can come at us that might rob us of hope or rob us of encouragement that I believe God has for us. So I think God's in this for us this morning. And so as much as you can, I want to encourage you to give your mind over, even give your imagination over, to like picturing what you're about to read in your mind's eye. Let the word of God kind of infiltrate your mind and see what he might speak to you this morning. Sound good? Great. Okay, so before we jump in, I'm going to pray. All right, will you join me? Father, we pause for just a moment, and we just say thank you. I think about brothers and Christians, our brothers and sisters, Christians around the world, that um, they don't have the liberty to gather the way that we do on Easter Sunday. And I thank you for the privilege that we have. I thank you that we get to be together um, with family, with friends. I thank you that we get to actually give ourselves over to celebrating your love and your power and your grace on display through your resurrection, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. We invite you to open the eyes and the ears of our hearts. Show us Jesus. I pray for an increased uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you this morning, God. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so we're gonna pick up here in verse one. Like I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt. Okay, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna read. You need to know what's already taken place here at this point in the story, okay? What's already taken place is that Jesus has been betrayed, right? Judas sells him out. One of his closest comrades betrays him. And not only does does Judas, one of his original 12 disciples, not only does Judas betray him, but the rest of his boys, the rest of the 11, they all abandon him. They bail on him. In 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 his moment of need, right, Jesus is, he's basically getting arrested. You could argue illegally, at least for sure, morally wrong. He's innocent. And he gets taken away and all of his boys just abandon him. And then you know the story, right? He's unjustly executed via crucifixion, brutal. And then his lifeless dead body is laid into a tomb on a Friday. That's Good Friday right now. Today's Sunday. And so here's where we pick up. And again, would you do me a favor? Would you engage your mind? Would you use your imagination? Would you picture this scene like a movie? All right, as we read, let's do this. John chapter 20, starting in verse one. On the first day of the week, what day is that? Sunday, okay? So Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Okay, pause. We're only one, we're only one verse in, but there's already some radical encouragement for us here. Okay? Um, the resurrection took place in the dark. Um, if you spend any time reading uh, the Bible, the scriptures, you know that it's filled with symbolism. And not just random symbolism, but like artistic, creative, beautiful symbolism. I don't know if you know this, God's an artist. He's a creative. He created. His, the first thing we see in Genesis 1 is he, he creates. It's glorious. It's beautiful. Right? But all this symbolism, remember in Genesis chapter 1, God first says, he goes, let there be light. Yeah. Let there be light. And so this symbolism with, with light in the scriptures, in the Bible, light is associated with God in many ways. Now, the antithesis of light is what? Darkness, absolutely. And just as the light symbolizes something in the Bible, darkness oftentimes symbolizes something in the Bible. Darkness in the Bible, it's associated with sin, with missing the mark, with wickedness, with evil, with despair. Despair. And you guys know this, you're cultured people, like darkness, the symbolic, like despair and evil and wickedness. You don't need me to tell you that. But here, yet, as we read this, in the very first verse, the resurrection took place in the dark. Can I encourage you with something? Right out of the gate. God does his best work in the darkness. What does darkness symbolize? It symbolizes despair, brokenness, wickedness. So maybe you're in a season in life right now where things aren't just kind of chippy and cheery and good and wonderful all the time. Maybe you're in a season where things are just kind of really difficult and maybe painful. And you don't need some goofy guy in a white corduroy Easter shirt to tell you and talk to you about like symbolism in the Bible. You know what darkness feels like. Pain, suffering, despair, sin. Can I just encourage you, friend? God does some of his best work in the darkness. Let's keep reading, verse two. So she, the she there is Mary Magdalene, she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. Whenever you see the other disciple in our passage today, it's talking about John. He's the author of this, this portion of scripture. Uh, again, probably Jesus' closest friend. So whenever you see the other disciple, just insert John, okay? So Mary goes running to Simon Peter and to John, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, I love that he gives himself that nickname. And she said to them... They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Remember, use your imagination. What what would you say is sort of maybe the chief emotion that Mary's feeling in this moment? Panic, confused. Yeah, for sure. No doubt she's worried. We don't know where they've put him. What's going on? Like, she's worried. You see, what happens here, what's happening here is Mary thinks that Jesus' body's been stolen. But here's the thing. Jesus predicted this. Like, he told his disciples what was going to happen. If you read the other gospel accounts, the gospel accounts are just like the the eyewitness accounts of the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, his ministry... Right? In Matthew, it happens multiple times. He predicts this. In, in Mark, it happens multiple times. He predicts this. And in Luke, it happens multiple times where he predicts, he tells his disciples what's going to happen. Can I just read you two, two examples, right? One, the first one from Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 says this. This is pre, this is before this moment, okay? This is Jesus hanging out with his boys. He says, it says this, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. And then you fast forward to the next chapter in Matthew and Jesus tells his disciples this again. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse twenty, starting in verse 22. As they, the they there are the disciples, followers of Jesus, As they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised up. And the disciples were deeply distressed. Jesus told his disciples what would happen. Um... So I have two daughters. I love them so much. Uh, When they were really young, I got in this habit of like looking at them and going, listen to daddy's words. And the reason I got in the habit of doing that was because they did not listen to daddy's words often. And and I was always motivated. I wanted what was best for them. Like I I want, I'm not just trying to control my kids. I want to, I want to guide them. I want to share, I want to father them. And I can remember this happening on multiple occasions with both of my girls. We'd be on a daddy-daughter date, I'd take them to get a smoothie, and before I hand them their smoothie, I'm like, listen, take it easy with the smoothie, okay? If you don't pause in between the drinks of your smoothie, you guys know what's gonna happen. Brain freeze, you're gonna get that gnarly headache and it's gonna hurt, so girls, take it easy with the smoothie, okay? Listen to daddy's words and you can guess what happened next. They did not take it easy with the smoothie and 30 seconds later you just hear that and like you could see the pain on their face. Listen to daddy's words. Why do I do that? Because I'm trying to save my girls from unnecessary pain and suffering. Jesus told his disciples what was going to happen. But they didn't listen to his words. I I can't help but wonder how much unnecessary pain, unnecessary worry, unnecessary heartache that we would avoid in life if we just listened to Jesus' words. Let's keep going. Verse three. At that, Peter and the other disciple, who's the other disciple? John. They went out heading for the tomb, right? So Mary Magdalene comes and tells them, hey, Jesus' body's not there. We don't know who took him. Peter and John, they went out heading for the tomb. Verse four, the two were running together. (laughs) This is my favorite part. But the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. (laughs) cool is that? Like John's like, you know what? There's going to be like thousands of years of people investigating Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of God, as the central figure in human history. And I'm writing this story. So I just want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm a faster runner than Peter. <laughs> There's a lot of people who don't believe that this is true. Like legitimate. There are people who are like, ah, oh, this Christianity thing, Jesus, no, like Whatever. This is some pretty compelling evidence because if you're a historian, you don't include stuff like this. This is a guy who's going, I just want everybody to know I'm putting my boy Peter on blast. I'm faster than him. Everybody forever needs to know this. Let's keep going. Verse five. So John is clearly the faster runner. He gets there first, stooping down. He saw the linen cloths lying there. Those are the linen cloths that that, that Jesus' body was wrapped in. But he did not go in. So picture this in your mind. John beats Peter there. He's stooping down. He's looking inside the tomb that no longer has a stone blocking the entrance. And he sees linen cloths lying there, but he doesn't go inside. Verse 6. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, (laughs) who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. Verse nine, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Okay, pause again. So not only does Jesus predict his death and resurrection to his disciples, he literally tells them what's gonna happen multiple times before it happens. So not only do the disciples have Jesus himself telling them what's gonna happen, they have the, the, the Old Testament, the, the scriptures at the time, they had the scriptures predicting it as well. You see it in verse nine. For they did not yet understand that the, the scripture said that he must rise from the, rise from the dead. So They're referencing not just Jesus' words, but God's word through a scripture. Like if you read the Old Testament, David, Isaiah, the list goes on of, of, of people literally predicting that this was gonna happen. So that begs the question, at least in my mind, why then are these disciples so caught off guard by this? Why didn't they get it? Can you think of anything more impossible than a man resurrecting from the dead? It's a genuine question. Maybe flying. A man flying, yeah. Ironically, Jesus does that as well. If you read Acts chapter one, his ascension to heaven. Why didn't these disciples understand? Because we're talking about the impossible here. It's so easy to throw stones at these guys. These like bozos, like, gosh, they do not get it. We're talking about the impossible. A man resurrecting from the dead dead. Of course they didn't understand. Because nothing's more impossible than resurrection from the dead. Let's keep reading verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So they've already left, right? They went back. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. Picture it in your mind's eye she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One at the head and the other at the feet. This is wild. Verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. And I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. (laughs) This is a woman who'd been journeying with Jesus for years, and she doesn't recognize Jesus. People have been asking this question, like, why is that? How could that be for 2,000 years? And... We can't really be sure, but here's what we do know. Here's what we know for sure, according to the Bible. What time was it? Early in the morning, while it was still dark. Verse one, we just read it. What we do know is that it was still dark out. We don't see clearly in the darkness, do we? This past uh, summer, uh, after... 16 years of full-time ministry, the church graciously sent my family and I on a three-month sabbatical over the summer. It was a really formative time. Uh, I feel like God met us in some spectacular ways, really challenged me in my inner being with some stuff, and really like just ministered to us. It was a, it was a really profound time. And we did some traveling. We got to connect as a family, had some wonderful uh, moments with the Lord. But the way we kind of closed the time was Ebony and I, uh, we went camping together. Just the two of us, no kids. We went and camped in Kings Canyon National Park, which is in the Sierra Nevada mountains. If, if you've ever camped in the Kings Canyon, you know it's beautiful. It's a really, really special place. The Kings River comes through. It's almost like a little mini mini version of Yosemite Valley. If you've ever been to Yosemite, Yosemite's better, <laughs> but uh, Kings Canyon's beautiful. It's a really, really cool place. And so we're there, we're just enjoying each other's time. Uh, it, it was great one of the things that we did on that camping trip was we visited uh, this cavern called Boyden Cavern. Anybody ever been there? Yes, cool, you guys have been there. Okay, so if you haven't been there, I cannot encourage you enough, it's this beautiful, massive cavern, like a huge cave. Like, you can only go in if you take the tour, you gotta buy the ticket, take the tour, because it's so large. I mean, it took us like an hour to walk through this cave. And if you've ever, cavern really, if you've ever been inside one of these they 're beautiful they 're massive they 're spectacular. Boyden Cavern is huge, and it 's glorious there 's beauty everywhere there 's all these formations, the stalactites and what is it stalagmites and all these things that you learn in school that you forget later when you become an adult and you have to prep a sermon, and you have to read about them. but either way it's beauty there's like these crystals and all these things all over the place it 's just natural and we 're walking through, and the, the, you know, the guide is telling us all these different things and and maybe the highlight—let me not the highlight. One of the coolest things was they take you way deep into this cavern, like way deep. And the reason you can even see your like see inside there is they've 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 put electric, they've like run electricity, so there's light in there. They've they've they take you all the way in, and they turn the lights up. They go, hey, hey, okay, you guys ready? We're gonna do this. Get ready, everybody ready? Okay, cool, we're all standing around in this massive open cavern. They turn out the lights. Guys, I've never experienced anything like that. Ebony's right next to me. I cannot see her at all. It's it's like darker than when you close your eyes. It's wild. All the beauty that was around me, gone and utter darkness. We don't see clearly in the darkness. Remember, darkness is that really powerful symbol in the Bible, right? And the truth is that we've all experienced darkness spiritually in our lives. We've all experienced darkness sin in our own lives. We've all experienced, we've all been on the receiving end of the sins of others, which tell me how much fun is that? Things the way they're not supposed to be, brokenness, wickedness, despair, depression, anxiety, worry, fear. The darkness in our lives, it has a way of keeping us from seeing the beauty that's all around us. The the, the evidence of God's grace, like his undeserved kindness that is actually all around us. But when the darkness kicks in, ooh, we just don't see it as clearly. It's like being in the cavern and having the lights go out. And just like Mary in the story, the darkness can keep us from seeing Jesus clearly. I'm a pastor. I have the privilege of being there on the best day of someone's life and the worst day of their life. Maybe, dare I say, the darkest day of their life. When suffering is just at that, that break where you're like, I can't take this anymore. When you encounter, not just like, oh, that was messed up, but like when you encounter evil in life, when you feel this, like that real sting of death. Not like someone close enough passed away and I'm, I'm especially grateful that my family's intact or my loved ones are okay. I mean like when it knocks at your door. Dude, few things in life sting more than death. That level of darkness, man. It's like our church has really kind of tasted that this last little bit been hard it's been painful and depending on the level of pain that death causes you in the moment you can find yourself like me i'm like god where are you what is going on like how could you let this happen i thought you were good i thought you were loving what is going on Friends, we don't see clearly in the darkness, do we? But hear me, just because it's dark, it doesn't mean the beauty's not there. Just because it's dark, it doesn't mean that God's grace isn't all around you. Hear me, just because it's dark doesn't mean Jesus isn't right there with you. According to the Bible, the question is not, is Jesus there? But rather, can you recognize him in the darkness? Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Hey, just I'm going to preface this. Look at Jesus in this one. Verse 15. Woman. Jesus said to her, that might sound like negative in our, like in our culture, If it's like woman, like that's not what's happening here. It's actually like affectionate, it's actually beautiful. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. When does Mary recognize it's Jesus? When he calls her by name. I find it interesting here that she responds by calling him teacher I don't have a ton of time to go into this, but in John chapter 10, so 10 chapters earlier, Jesus is teaching and he says these words. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. While he's teaching, he says this, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. In that very same passage, he says, I call my sheep by name and they recognize my voice. I think this is the moment. I think this is the moment when it all became clear to Mary. Like in the middle of the the darkness of the death of her Messiah, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep calls her by name and she recognizes his voice in the middle of the darkness. Friend, have you heard the voice of God calling your name? See, there's something about the voice of God. It's not like any other voice, it stands alone. There's something about the voice of God that has the power to cut through the darkness and penetrate the human heart in such a way where you're like, it's Him. Have you heard the voice of God calling your name? Listen to me. You might have been in the church for decades. I'm not asking how long you've been, quote, going to church. Um, I remember being a new dad. And there's just like few things in life that are more just unbelievable, terrifying, beautiful, hard than you're a new dad but i remember coming to a realization of like the amount of like almost power that's associated with being a dad i remember my young or my eldest amelia our firstborn and i remember her this happened multiple times where she's just not having it she's she's upset about something she's crying she's freaking out and i literally remember being like amelia It's snapping her out of it. I can remember times in my life where I was like, the power of the voice of a father, what it can do to someone in distress. Amelia, and it would like calm her. She instinctively knew the sound of her father's voice. And it did something to her. Friends, friends, your heavenly Father, the God of the Bible, he has a voice and he speaks directly to the heart. He calls his own by name. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Check out what Jesus says. He says, don't cling to me. Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brother's and tell them that I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Okay, pause just for a moment. This is, this is like huge evidence for the resurrection of Jesus as being like a real thing, okay? Here's what you need to know. Who was the first eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus? Mary, who is she's a woman, okay? 2,000 years ago in Palestine, like ladies, you guys were treated really, really poorly, okay? Like significant oppression. (laughs) Uh, You're basically treated like property. So much so that like ladies were so mistreated, your testimony wasn't even, they didn't even accept it in court. Why do I say that? Because Jesus entrusts the first eyewitness to tell people that he rose from the dead to be a woman. Says a lot. The first thing it says is, one, how much he values women. Ladies, you need to know that, okay? The culture around you doesn't value you as much as it should. Jesus does. But secondly, if you're writing this account to convince people that something untrue is true, The last thing that you're gonna do is say that the first eyewitness was a woman. Your credibility, 2,000 years ago, your credibility in that moment is gone. So the the only plausible explanation for why they would include this is because that's what actually happened. There's some significant evidence here. Let's keep going. Verse 19. When it was evening on that first day of the week, okay, so this is that first day, that's Sunday, so same day, Everything that we've read so so far happened early in the morning in the darkness. This is now same day later in the evening. The disciples were, were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Okay, get the picture. They're in the room, doors are locked, they're freaking out. Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The reason it says his side is when he was on the cross, he, they stabbed him with a spear to verify whether he was dead or not. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Okay, <clears throat> you ever wonder what heaven's gonna be like? I do. I'm like, dude, what's it gonna be like? Like, this is, this is amazing. This kind of gives us some clues. Jesus' resurrected body gives us some clues about heaven. Check this out. Jesus' heavenly resurrected body seemingly walks through walls. I don't have an application to share with you on that one. It's just remarkable. He walks through walls, okay? And not like the Kool-Aid man, like, oh, yeah, like it's not that. It's different, it's holy, it's powerful. But there's something else that I want you to see here that's, that's spectacular. His heavenly resurrected body has the scars from his crucifixion. Wait a minute, I thought everything was gonna be made new. I thought his heavenly resurrected body had the scars in his hands and his feet and his side from his crucifixion. Friends, hear me. Some of the things that you consider scars in your life, they're actually sacred. For Jesus, his scars, they're they're his crucifixion scars. they're his glory. According to I, the prophet Isaiah, Old Testament, right? It's by those wounds that you and I are healed. Right? Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice. He gets punished. He absorbs the wrath of God for your sins, for mine. So those, those, those scars, right? He, those are like, those are markings of love, It's the the debt of my sin is paid for. Here's the receipt Jesus' scars are evidence of his love. His love for who? Yeah, his love for you, his love for me. I'm convinced heaven's going to be unspeakably beautiful. No pain. No suffering, no disease, no death, no division, no tears, all wickedness, all sin, totally eradicated, anxiety gone, depression gone, cancer gone. But hear me, some scars are sacred, friends. Some so- scars are sacred because they are acquired through love. Love. Something tells me that our heavenly bodies will look less like the bodies that we see on magazine covers. If you're hoping for that six pack, I don't know. I think they're going to look less like the bodies we see on magazine covers and more like bodies that have the markings of love. Like, Like true beauty, real glory. Can I just share an honest kind of theory that I have? I think this is why pregnant moms are so radiantly beautiful. We see you, D. Because their bodies are marked, literally marked by love. I think we're gonna be amazed by what we see in heaven. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I don't have time, but there's like 10 sermons in that line. As the Father sent me. Do you realize that God the Father sent the Son on a rescue mission? Like, it's amazing. And he goes, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I just want to pause for a second and go it is, it is remarkable. We're in a room right now, over like 2,000 years after this took place. Why? Because Jesus sent 12, uh, he sent a small group of people to tell other people about what they experienced, that they saw Jesus risen from the dead, And it's carried all the way here 2,000 years later. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. It blows me away. The gospel's gone viral, okay? (laughs) Throughout the generations. Verse 24. But Thomas, okay, I share a name with this guy, he gets a lot of flack. But Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So Jesus walks through the walls, peace be with you, Thomas isn't there. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord, bro. It's crazy, but we've seen him. But he said to them, this is what Thomas says to his, his boys, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's fair to say Thomas had his doubts, okay? it's where he got the nickname, Doubting Thomas. But we can give this guy flack, but remember, there's nothing more impossible than the resurrection from the dead. Like, not just us modern people, but like human beings over thousands, throughout history, they know, all people know that the power of death overwhelms everybody, I don't care how many push-ups you can do. I don't care how fast of a mile you can run. I don't care how much you can bench press. Death overpowers everybody. No one's exempt. So Thomas had his doubts. And he gets the bad rap. He gets the nickname Doubting Thomas. But here's the thing. Uh, Every other disciple that we've read about so far, they did the same thing. They didn't believe until they saw. Maybe you can relate. Let's keep reading verse 26. A week later, a week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them this time. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands reach out your hand and put it into my side don't be faithless but believe what does this moment say about jesus like he's fully aware of thomas's doubts and yet he doesn't reject thomas because of his doubts Instead, what does he do? He meets him in his doubts. Anybody ever doubt God in the room? Oh, well, there's like only three of us. That's cool. <laughs> like when I say doubt, I don't necessarily mean like doubt that he's not real, although that can very well be a thing that you might struggle with in doubt. Like you ever doubt his goodness He doesn't really like, maybe he cares for other people more than he cares for you. You ever doubt that he cares for you? How about this one? You ever doubt that he actually knows best? And maybe, just maybe, the play that we would run for our life is not gonna go well. Jesus meets Thomas in his doubts and he gives him a prescription. Did you catch what it was? Look at me. Thomas, I know your doubts. I'm fully aware of your doubts. I see you. Here's your prescription. The unsettled, insecure, lack of peace that you have in your doubts. Here's your prescription. Look at me. Friend, not if, When you recognize doubts in your life, the prescription is look at Jesus. Look at him. Examine him. Listen to his words. Consider his scars. Jesus' prescription for doubt is look at me. All right, let's wrap up. Verse 28. Thomas responded to him. My Lord and my God. So Thomas is, I I see it, I see him, I get it. Verse 29, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So there's a special blessing here. According to Jesus, there's a, sp- a special blessing for those who have not seen Jesus in the flesh and yet believe in his resurrection. Did you catch what it was? Shows up three times in the passage we just read. Shows up in verse 19, verse 21, and verse 26. The resurrected Jesus, when he shows up to his disciples, he says it three times. What does he say? Peace be with you. The Hebrews, their word for peace is, you've got, some of you guys know this, it's the word shalom. So that word shalom is, is translated into our English peace. Shalom is way more beautiful. It's way more thorough. It's way more spectacular. It's way more like captivating than just peace. Peace is cool. Don't get me wrong. But shalom is cooler, man. It's, it's, there's depth to it, okay? What shalom means, shalom peace It means complete well-being and wholeness. Consider that for a second. Consider the implications of that for a second in your own life, in the life of the people you love, in the life of your city, in the life of your nation, in the life of this planet. Complete well-being and wholeness. Shalom is the way things are supposed to be. You were created for shalom, peace. Shalom, peace, it's the way that things were in the beginning, before humans started sinning. Right? You guys know the story of Adam and Eve, right? But that moment where sin is introduced into the world, That's what theologians call the fall. Everything changed in that moment where there was once complete well-being and wholeness, shalom, peace, now there's not. Now there's brokenness between man and man. There's brokenness between man and God. There's brokenness between man and creation. You don't need me to tell you this. Turn on the TV. Right, you have wholeness, peace, shalom, and it's exchanged for brokenness and division and death So in that moment, in the fall, sin and death defeated Shalom Peace. It it overwhelmed it. And one of the reasons why the resurrection of Jesus is so profoundly powerful and beautiful is it's the reversal of that. It's the reversal. It means Jesus Christ defeated sin and death. Think about it. He defeated sin. How did he de- He lived the perfect life. The perfect sinless life that you and I never could. He literally defeated sin. He never gave in. He never said yes, Lord, to sin. He always said yes, Lord, to his father. He defeated sin. He also defeated death. How? He rose from the dead. He literally defeated death. Crucified as our substitute, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive. And he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe in his resurrection. All right, I'm gonna close with this. Ben, will you, will you come back up? I don't know where my water is, but oh well. Um, if you're on the ministry team, would you kind of just be ready? How much time do we have? Thanks, baby. You guys with me? Yes. You okay? Baptisms are coming soon. Easter egg hunt is coming soon. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe in his resurrection. That blessing is the restoration of shalom peace to the world. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of the resurrection of Jesus as like phase one of the restoration of shalom peace on the earth. Um, You parents in the room, you've been in in the, er, yeah, you're in the room, but you've been in the birthing room. You've watched two people go into a room plus a nurse and four people come out. Like you've seen new life take place. You've seen the glory and the beauty that a baby being born is. And you've seen that that crowning moment. And if you don't know what the crowning moment is, it's when you can start to see the baby's head. And, and, And when the crowning moment takes place, when the baby's crowning, what does that mean? It means new life is here. It means new life is here, and it means that the fullness of new life is coming soon. You mamas know, once that birth begins... Once that train leaves the station, you're not stopping it. Friends, the resurrection is the birthing of shalom peace back into the world. Right, like shalom peace is here and the fullness of, the completeness, the fullness of shalom peace is coming soon. That's the blessing. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. It's the resurrection, if you will, of peace in two ways. Two ways. One, peace with God. And secondly, the peace of God. The resurrection of Jesus means peace with God and you can have the peace of God. Peace with God. What is that? It's, I'm at peace with God. He's forgiven me. All of the debt of my sin, totally absorbed, totally forgiven. The wrath of God poured out on Jesus on the cross. His resurrection is like the check cleared. He paid my debt. He didn't just write the check. He had the funds to back it up. And his power is on display through his resurrection. Guys, peace with God. I'm forgiven. And not just forgiveness, but justification. You know what that means? It means I don't have to justify myself. My value, my worth, I'm not justified by my performance, by, by how good I do or how poorly I do, by how good you think I preach, by how intelligent I come across. None of that. I'm justified by him. He lived the perfect, he's my substitute. Not only was he my substitute on the cross, he's my substitute with his life. He lived a perfect life that I never could in my place. And he goes, you trust in me? I give you my report card. I give you my perfect record. You're fully justified, perfection. Some of you guys spend your whole life trying to be perfect and you're falling on your face and you feel all the overwhelming guilt and the shame that goes along with that. It's because you can't justify yourself. Join the club. There's only one who can justify you. Because there's only one who's perfect. There's only one who defeated sin. Peace with God. Your maker, your creator, the lover of your soul. And not just peace with God, but the peace of God. Remember, the resurrection is the crowning of the baby, if you will, okay? Okay? Shalom peace is here, but the fullness of shalom peace is coming soon. When? When Jesus comes back. The new heavens and the new earth, all things made new. Listen, you're not gonna go to heaven if you're in Christ. Heaven's coming to earth. All things made new. The fullness, the completeness of shalom peace in all of creation. Hear me. Knowing that the fullness of peace is coming soon will give you peace here and now. It will give you peace here and now. As you are encountered with the darkness of life this side of heaven, you can do so with the peace of God because you know what's coming soon. I have to ask you. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Have you received his forgiveness? Do you need his forgiveness? Do you need his justification? And do you have the peace of God in the middle of the darkness that you face. Listen, I'm convinced that the vast majority, if not all of us in this room, believe in the resurrection of Jesus. What I'm not as convinced of is whether or not we're living as though it's true. We can have peace with God and we can have the peace of God no matter how dark it gets this side of heaven. The resurrection is proof of that. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your mercy and your grace on us. We thank you that you're so infinitely wise and loving and patient. Got to think about the way you, you behave just in this chapter, Jesus, and it's absolutely spectacular. You're faithful when your disciples are not. You're loving when your disciples are not. You're patient when your disciples are not. You are unchanging in your grace. You are unchanging and unwavering in your mercy. You are unchanging and unwavering in your love. And I pray that this Resurrection Sunday, all of us would actually grab a hold of the peace that you purchased with that you purchased for us with your blood and your body. And it would bring us joy, it would bring us encouragement that even though things get dark, even though we're confronted with darkness on a daily, hourly basis, we can have peace, knowing that you're with us and that you've purchased us for something greater, something better, and it's coming soon. I'll be home soon. Jesus, you're wonderful. We honor you this Easter. We bless you this Easter. Our heart is to minister to you because you're worthy this Easter. We praise you, Jesus. You're wonderful and you're beautiful and you offer us peace. Thank you. Amen.